Today's episode is brought to you by Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash giants and crowns or go to giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. You know, um, one of the reasons why we started Giants and Crowns uh, is to really focus on and exercise extracting lessons learned. We're hosting these conversations in the hopes that the actions taken by our guests, the decisions they've made can help inform the decisions that we will all make as business owners, as generalists, as scientists, as designers, as photographers, as, as producers, as creatives. Um, but even more, more so than all that as lifelong learners. So I, I fundamentally think that, and I think you, you guys would agree as well, to be a great thinker, to be a great learner, you have to have multiple perspectives, multiple models, a diversity in perspective. Um, you need to be multidisciplinary. Brilliant is hands down one of the best places to polish up and do that in an engaged and active, interactive way. And, you know, there's, there's actually this really dope quote by Charlie Munger. He talks about Charlie Munger, the partner of Warren Buffett um, over at Brookshire Hathaway and also an inspiration for the podcast. What he says is the first rule is that you've got to have multiple models because if you have just one or two that you're using, the nature of human psychology is such that you'll torture reality so that it fits your models. And the models have to come from multiple disciplines because all of the wisdom of the world is not to be found in one little academic department. That's crucial. Brilliant provides frameworks that are helpful for thinking and solving problems. Brilliant is a place where you can achieve true understanding by getting to the heart of a concept. Their courses are written by leading instructors and researchers who have worked to provoke natural curiosity and guide you through an interactive exploration of deep concepts and principles and ideas. So definitely check out Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash Giants and Crowns or giantsandcrowns.com forward slash Brilliant. Support Giants and Crowns by doing that. And the first 200 folks from Giants and Crowns who sign up get uh, 20% off their first entire uh, premium subscription year. Um, so sign up, check it out. Let us know how, you, how, how you're enjoying it. Um, when we send out our weekly updates, respond with a screenshot or something. That, that'd be awesome. Let us know that you're part of the crew. Um, all right. Thank you so much. Hey, I'm James. Uh, I'm the COO of BeReal, so I'm responsible for our operations across our five offices. Nice. Let's let's kind of let's unpackage that in a couple of ways. One, what is BeReal, and two, what does it mean to be COO of something like BeReal? Sure. So uh, BeReal is a creative agency. We focus heavily on technology and storytelling. It's always been the case since we started in 1999. And my job within that is to make sure that we're doing a good job across all of our different offices. We're delivering high quality work for our clients. We're building our teams in the right way and we're making money as an organization. Nice. How, what's, how does that sort of uh, balance with, I guess, the rest of the C-suite, like the CEO and is there a yeah. CMO and chief tra- strategy officer and all that? Well, you know what? We're, we're a privately owned company, so we are relatively small. We're about just under 200 people. 
and it's it's still the same five founders that are inside the company mm. uh, so in terms of a c-suite it's really our founders and, and a few additions to that team um so my boss is the ceo anders Ogfist, who is the you know one of the founders uh, um accompanied by a chief hr officer current wester um and outside of that is uh, and sorry, lastly is uh, Petter uh, Westland, our chief creative officer, who's also one of the founders. Nice. So uh, let's let's kind of let's kind of go take a, take a couple steps back. Like, how did yeah. you? What what's where did you go? Where are you from? I hear your accent. I'm I'm hearing something foreign to the United States. Uh, probably something more you know regal. Uh, <laughs> where are you where are you from? And then how did that get you here, stateside in New York City? Yeah, cool. Uh, regal, I think, is a very grand term. I wouldn't say that. I think I'm a surf by any any account. Even the fact that that's you just it. said surf, you know, that's just not that's not common <laughs> American language. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm English. Uh, I was born in England, and I grew up there. And then you know, from the beginning, I, I went to school in the UK, and I started working in finance, and then quickly realized that that was a bad idea mm. um, so I took some time out and went traveling around the world and ended up uh, uh, on my travels meeting a guy called uh, um, Ajaz Ahmed who was the founder of uh, AKQA mm. uh, and during those travels we became friends um, and it ended up with me taking a job in AKQA in London in 2003 and that was a very interesting time for the company it was going through meteoric rise and in terms of working in you know the emerging world of uh, digital and the internet um, and so I worked for a long time in London and then through my my work there I was I actually moved out to San Francisco so I spent seven years working in San Francisco uh, working closely with Nike which was one of our largest clients mm. uh, and I was there for seven years and then uh, my wife who's from Sweden uh, we decided after our second child to move back uh, to Europe because we wanted to be closer to family so I ended up in Stockholm in Sweden where that's where I started working with Vireal where I was for four years uh, and now, uh, two months ago, we made the decision to move back to the States, uh, which was not necessarily on our radar, but we thought, why not? When you get a chance to move to New York, you take it. Yeah. Um, so here I am. Back, <laughs> back again. Nice. So, so uh, you know, there's, 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 um, there's a couple of things that I'm really curious about, especially with like I guess the agency lifestyle. Is that is that was it? Is is it accurate to say that this is the that this is sort of a series of agencies, AQ, AKQA, and then also Be Real? Yeah. Okay. So, absolutely. How, how does how does the agency world work in terms of, you know, I hear Nike is a. I mean, Nike seems to be a client with a lot of the big guys. Um, and I'm 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 still trying to understand like how all that works. Like how do agencies operate in terms of um, I guess first finding customers, but then also like what's what's the service that, that they're respectively providing, and how do they do that really effectively? Well, that's a good question. But but you know the way that my experience has been is is really been about creating partnerships with clients. So, you know, taking Nike as an example, you know, they're leaders in brand communication and creating experiences for their customers. And, you know, they've always been pushing, you know, pushing what the bar is for expectations from their customers. So when you work with a client like that, it's really about how do you 
develop ideas which are at the forefront and you know working at companies like AKQA and Be Real you know, we have always been about innovation we've always been around developing ideas that people hadn't ever experienced before or you know, creating stories that uh, you know are new and surprising um, and so it's about that shared mindset that shared and um, creative ambition um, so inside an agency it's around trying to find those like-minded souls that you know understand your creative aspirations and you know want to develop ideas together uh, and, and you know the the balance of that is really around how do you create an internal culture which is you know uh, sustainable and how can you develop ideas and push yourself but also create a balance in your life so that you actually want to come to work the next day yeah yeah so how do you how do you do that the culture piece especially like how do you what is that what does culture mean when you say it and then how do you go about building sustaining that at either places be real aqqa or even if you were to look on the outside into other organizations sure you know, so, so just looking at it in myself, you know, I, I grew up in London in the early 2000s when the internet was just in its infancy. And, you know, it was a crazy time. You know, no one really knew what they were doing. And, and you know, we working in a, a digital agency was effectively peddling black magic at that point. Mm. Uh, you know, on the inside, we were, you know, we were just trying new things. We were working really, really fluidly and, you know, spending hours and hours trying to figure stuff out. And, you know, the results were awesome and creative and you know, game changing in some respects, um, but it was just hard work and grind. And, uh, you know, I've got no complaints, but it was, uh, you know, it was no balance really. And then moving to the States, you know, I spent a lot of time on the West Coast. You know, the, the environment there was also very, very intense, you know, with the emergence of all of the big players of Silicon Valley in the, in the 2000s. You know, it's extreme pressure to, you know, stay on top of all of the different emerging platforms and technologies which are out there. And then my time in, in Sweden, uh, you know, showed me that there is a, a way to create balance. There is a way to, you know, develop ideas which are at the forefront, but also allow yourself to focus outside of work to, you know, be close to your family and, you know, be a good person to, to you know, your friends and, and, and colleagues too. So, so to answer your question, like what is, is, is a culture? For me, it's around, you know, the values and behaviors of an organization and, you know, at Be Real, we do have a very strong Swedish heritage. So we value the interpersonal connections between people. And, you know, and the way we behave as an organization is really around fostering this sense of community and that it's okay to make mistakes and that we have each other's backs and, you know, to do the type of work that we want to be doing, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. And, and so we have to look out for each other and we have to support each other. And it's that kind of positive outlook is very core to who we are at Beeril and, and, and why we've been successful over the last 20 years. Mm. So when, when you said uh, earlier that um, you said Beeril is on the smaller side with 200 people, um, what is big in terms of like the agency space? Well, you know, I think, yeah, how many people work at WPP, which is an agency network, over 100,000, I believe. There we go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that's a series of agencies in themselves. And, you know, if I take my last company as an example, AKQA, you know, when, when I joined, it was around 70, 80 people in the, in the London office. And mm. by, the time, by the time I left, it was more like 500 plus. And, and you know, the, the team had grown to over 1,000 people. Uh, and, and it was acquired by WPP in, in the late 2000s. And, 
you know, it, the scale of it was insane in some respects. You know, it was purchased by WPP for, you know, over half a billion dollars. Um, and, and so I feel like the insight that I have from that process of being, you know, a core part of that growth um, is that agencies can quickly grow. Uh, you know, it can be a very exciting place when you have mojo, um, but it's around uh, trying to maintain the thing that made you special in the first place. So when we talk about our set, our scale at Be Real, you know, our ambition is never to grow beyond, say, 50 people in each office, because at that point you lose the essence of who you really are. You you, you bring on people that don't necessarily you know, see your you, you see your values or want to you know behave like the rest of us. Uh, and you lose your sense of identity. So the point being, you don't have to be massive to do amazing work. You just have to have a really clear sense of self, and, you know, and, and a really clear internal culture. Yeah. So how does, in, in your experience, like how is that, can, can you kind of paint a picture on examples or things that you've experienced when which that's broken? Like, like when does cult, when does culture break and what does that look like when it breaks? And then how do you fix it? Yeah, the best example I have is with with my previous company, where I, I feel like, you know, with the scale and with the growth and with the you know, the sale to a, a massive network, there was yeah. a huge challenge to to the, to the culture that made it special in the first place. You know, I can still recite the four values of the company off by heart, and if you cut me, it's probably you know I'd probably bleed that as well because that's what I you know I grew up with more or less. But the the point was. The, the culture was all about the work. You know, it was all around how do we create things that people are going to look at and say, hey, how on earth did you do that? Um, and that was, you know, that's what we built our teams around. That was the ethos of how we worked. Um, and and you know, that shifted. As, as soon as the, the barometer was now focused on the, the value of uh, that we can deliver to shareholders, you know, we, we moved away from that. So the core objective of the company changed and, and the culture drifted with that. And I, I can't really comment on, on where the company's come, you know, how far the company's come since I left. But when I joined Be Real, again, the, the, the main difference being that it's an independent company and, and the five guys that started it are still very much hands-on and involved in the, you know, in the business. And so the, the sense of culture has never really wavered. You know, it's it's been the core of our business. It's it's the thing that is our point of difference and our kind of uh, secret weapon against much bigger organizations and you know, you know that have got a much more scale than ours. So, of course, we we have to focus on maintaining it and, and investing in, in in making sure that we don't lose sight of the core values that we have. But uh, you know, it's never been the case where those have been under threat or no one's really seen the value in having a strong culture. Right. The comments you made around like the, the focus on shareholders versus not, I guess, effectively the difference between being a, a, a cell phone private entity versus perhaps a private public entity with, um, I guess, higher up stakeholders who are driven by something else potentially. But in, in both instances, both scenarios, there is a profit motive. It sounds like you're... Like I guess, how do you how does how does be real or how do you how do you guys think about I guess structuring deals in terms of like how how do you ensure you're still profitable but then you're also um, providing something really valuable and you're 
you know, you're you're supporting your company in all the ways that are necessary to really support a culture, like having the events that perhaps you have to support the culture or, you know, um, spending the spending more time hiring the right person as opposed to just hiring whoever's expedient today um, because you need to just get revenue out. Like, how do you guys sort of how do you play that dance between value and profit? Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's the thing that we 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 keeps us awake every night but <laughs> but, but the, the the point is really you know, in its most simplest form that our belief is that if we create things and drop them out in the world and people look at those and go wow that's amazing then our business will sustain itself and that's kind of been the the way for for our company since the very beginning that we define ourselves by our output so so in that sense, of course, the business rationale behind every deal that we make is extremely important because we don't want to be selling ourselves short. But the focus shifts because if, if we think about how much money we can make, then the focus on the end product becomes less. And so it's almost table stakes for us to be able to produce work in an efficient, profitable way. But that's not the primary goal. And to give you an anecdote around how the difference would be is that when my boss calls me, his first thing isn't, you know, what what are we looking at in, in Q4? His first question is like, how are the team feeling? Like, what's the vibe in the office? And I think that's very telling because if the vibe is positive, we're doing interesting things that inspires the team, yeah. the rest kind of takes care of itself. That's interesting. I love that. I love that. So... How is um I guess on on your you know, before we before we jumped on the call we um I asked you if you had if you had a family and uh, I'm really curious like how that um has sort of helped um helped you in terms of being yourself within an organization at Be Real at a place at AQQ AKQA um and just like from a professional standpoint like what kinds of pros and if you want to speak to it cons come with having a family right yeah it's you know i i don't think there's any cons really to be you know it sounds corny but uh, yeah. you know it's it, it's it's been uh, an amazing journey so far and i just feel lucky that i've got two two amazing kids and a wife uh, that are healthy and you know that's that's kind of the main thing you know work will be work good days and bad days but at the end of the day it doesn't really matter when you've got you know that that at home waiting for you but but the but you know the the real true value of working in, in be real is that there's a common understanding of what it means to have a family and i don't know if you've ever been to sweden but the whole society is engineered around family life uh, and that's everything from how people are supported with childcare through you know the, the split between maternity and paternity leave through to the school systems it's just an integral part of how people go about their lives and, and what that does is it creates an atmosphere where it's not a drag to have a family it's seen as a you know a positive part of of life and it makes you stronger as a person and it gives you you know more balance so so i feel like it's been a real challenge to to try and you know, undertake a you know a job which has got you know requirements from across the world, really, um, whilst being a good dad and, and husband. But it's you know the net result is that it's just made me a more rounded person and and, and more pragmatic in terms of how I, I deal with situations. Uh, but that said, you know, when I was in my, in my twenties and, and early thirties, 
you know, I, I had a great time. You know, I, I love work. <laughs> you know, you know what, what we're trying to do here is 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 interesting. I speak to my friends, and you know, I I couldn't be less inspired by you know eighty percent of what they're doing. So I feel just lucky to be in in a creative environment where, you know, we're trying new things every day, and we're working with clients that are, you know, also pushing. You know, it's it's I have got literally nothing to complain about. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so I guess to kind of to kind of pan back out and and focus on, I guess, be real generally and sort of sort of the agency space generally. For me, I'm I'm, you know, part of my reason reaching out to you is that I don't know much about the space, and it's it's really I love doing these kind of conversations because it's an opportunity for me to to really kind of learn through you. It's almost like these are office hours in a sense. Maybe that's what we'll yeah. retitle this office hours, uh, but. Um, I'm curious, like, like when you talk about from like a sales standpoint, um, how does how does an organization like Be Real go about getting new business, and then how does it, like, how do you how do you how is the organization sort of structured, and um, what what are some of the things you look like you look at in terms of sort of maintaining that culture within, given that structure, and then also given that sales process. That's a really good question. I I think that. You know, to understand our agency specifically, you know, if you need to turn back the, the sands of time and look at where we came from, which is, you know, the, the outset of the internet. And, and, and what happened at that time was, you know, there was this emergence of, of this of this platform, uh, which no one really understood. And, and entrepreneurial companies like Burial kind of stepped in and, and half of the company came from kind of a filmmaking background and half of the company came from more of an entrepreneurial technology side and they started experimenting with how you put things on the internet and it kind of became a very lucrative source of income to just do interesting things on the internet because no one's doing it uh, and the company grew from that really uh, you know it was clients that have a business need and see the internet as a opportunity to you know deliver results uh, and they need partners to get it and, and that's been the core of our business ever since but as the time has evolved uh, we've moved from kind of just a pure making perspective where we were just producing ideas that were kind of shaped to a degree uh, we've moved into a much more kind of uh, partner driven business model with our clients so we work with clients on solving all sorts of problems whether it's how do they launch new products or how do they talk about themselves in certain channels to how do they rethink consumer experiences using technology and uh, for us it's you know our our, our business and, and our, our cultures is shifted over the years to have our clients in the center and treat their businesses as if they were our own so you know this this level of partnership is less about them telling us what to do and more about us helping them navigate and develop those plans together and then they obviously have their own priorities internally but we can help them as a kind of very close partner that is you know thinking proactively about their business and how to leverage you know new technology or how to think about telling their brand story in interesting new ways you know and and those partnerships come and go but the good ones stay for you know a long time we've been working with H&M uh, a Swedish fashion uh, brand for over 12 years we've been working with Google 
for over nine years. So, so, so we've got these partnerships which kind of stand the test of time and you know we invest in and, and they see the value of having a, an ongoing partner that cares deeply about their success and it's not about trying to get something done so that we can win an award or you know we can make a bit of money. It's really about long-term partnerships. Yeah. So what is, what is what do you think is, is key to, to maintaining a partnership? I guess before that, what, do, what is key to starting a partnership? And then after that, what is key to maintaining one? So, so key to starting a relationship is just being on the same page in terms of, you know, what is our shared point of view here? And then, you know, we, we've learned that the hard way that there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, want to try something different, want a different point of view, but really moving out of a certain comfort zone is is virtually impossible, whether it's from an organizational or, you know, just a general, you know, uh, understanding perspective. Um, but once you have a shared creative vision and a shared point of view on the business and, and the brand, then really good things can happen. And then how do you maintain that? And how do you, you know, deepen that relationship? Well, it's about treating the brand as if it was your own. And, and, and when you get there, it means that I could be having a shower in the morning and come up with an idea and just can't wait to get on the phone and, and tell our client about it because we just know instinctually that it's a good idea. And when you get to that level, uh, you know, it's not really work. It's not really a client agency relationship. It's this co-ownership of the brand. Uh, and that's kind of our North Star. You know, if, if we can get to that place, you know, if you strip away all the buzzwords and all of the, you know, the, 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 the process to get to it, it's really about that. It's about a partnership which is born from a, a creative vision, a shared creative vision. Mm. This episode of Giants and Crowns is brought to you by High Five. Recently named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies of 2018, High Five simplifies business collaboration with a conferencing platform that builds connected cultures. It's the only all-in-one conferencing solution, including intuitive cloud software and purpose-built meeting room hardware. Plus, it's a high-quality experience with a 4K HDR camera and industry-leading audio powered by Dolby Voice. Growing fast with customers in over 100 countries, High Five is already trusted by the likes of Harry's, Rue La La, Expensify, The Atlantic, and Betterment. To learn more and start simplifying your team's video and audio conferencing, visit giantsandcrowns.com forward slash High Five. So going back a, 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 a slight step, when you, when you talked about getting on the same page, um, how do you do that? How do you do that with a with an organization? I, I guess even before that, I guess, is, and is that presuming that you've reached out and you've pitched them? Or is it sort of in response to an RFP? Like, what's the sort of context for that initial conversation? And then how do you guys create a space where you guys can get on the same page and realize whether or not you're going to be able to be on the same page? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So, so the, you know, going back to my earlier point around like our business model being around putting things out in the world that define us really, and that we can point to and say to clients, this is what we stand for. And if you want some of that, you know, give us a ring and we can say to potential employees, you know, this is what we do at Be Real. And if you want to be part of something like this, then, you know, you, you're welcome at our organization. That's at the core of this. So once, you know, the, the practical reality of that is, 
you know, we, we've built the Be Real brand over the last 20 years and, you know, we have a certain perception out, out in the world for the type of work that we do and the kind of brand of thinking that we have. And, you know, the, the phone rings, like clients call us because they think that's interesting and relevant today for their business. Uh, so that once we get in front of people and we have a conversation, uh, you know, it's really then about understanding where we both are. Uh, you know, and that's from everything from like, you know, what is the objective of this, uh, you know, this this uh, this partnership? Like, what are, what are we trying to solve here? Is it short term? Is it long term? Are we able to develop a partnership at an eye level? You know, is there scale in this? Uh, are we talking to people that can actually make decisions? You know, th there's a number of factors that we we run through to establish whether this has got potential for both of us really to be a, a longer term engagement. And, and if it's not, then, you know, I think it's best for both of us that we, you know, we, we work that out quickly. So does that, does that happen? Like how does, how does the team sort of deploy itself? Is there like a, uh, like an account executive? I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking more like, like specifically in a tactical sense and, yeah. and like what, what is, what's the, do you, what's, what's the SEAL team look like? What is the, what's the ground crew look like? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a it's a good question, and and, and you know agencies uh, in, in a traditional sense have kind of been staffed by a thick layer of account management or, or client service who yeah. who are you know their job is to really kind of position the agency and and and, and identify those briefs and kind of sh you know shuffle them back to the to to the wider team, and you know that's not how we operate uh, for the for the very simple reason that. What happens is you have people that have no real hand in the work, as in their, their role is more administrative than actually strategic or, or creative. Mm. Um, so, so our SEAL team, if you like, is you know, has, has someone with that background. You know, my, my own personal background comes from more of a client service background, but who is, you know, not interested in being a paper shuffler, who is someone that is able to quickly get to a place with our clients that they can talk on the same, uh, say, talk in the same language around the business opportunity and, you know, some thoughts on, you know, the context for, for, for which the, the business is operating in. And, and that seniority uh, allows us to quite quickly navigate the, the organizations. And then around that person, you know, we have a, a small core team of a strategy representative, creative representative, technology representative, uh, and someone with a production mind, like how do we make it happen? And between those four or five people, you know, we can make a lot of progress really quickly. And, and, and when things become more defined, that's when we would engage a, a larger kind of uh, part of the team to actually deliver it and, and make it actually, you know, fulfilled. Interesting. So in terms of like maintaining that relationship, that same group of four or five people, are they... Um, are they part of that maintenance um, throughout the life of the relationship or is this sort of ebb and flow throughout the organization? Absolutely. You know, that's the, the point around our client focus is yeah. you know, th these four or five people think about our clients as, as though it was a shared ownership of, of the brand and, 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 and that's the, the ethos of, of how we go about our day. So, you know, it doesn't make sense to interchange those people because at the end of the day, you know, we're building experience and understanding and, you know, knowledge of the brand and the customer and, you know, the business within this four and five people. And that's the leadership from our side. 
Um, so it, it's really about creating the right team around those four to five people. So, you know, in some instances, you know, it requires different disciplines, you know, whether it's more technology or, or, or more uh, kind of communication needs. Uh, it would depend, but the four to five people would be the ones pulling those levers and making sure that we were set up for success and that we were, you know, an efficient machine, really. So what what is an example, and to the extent that you can speak to it, of like when when a relationship is not working or when it's not working and why it's not working? Um, like if I'm thinking from like a dating standpoint, because um, I'm not married or anything, uh, being on the same page sometimes that can be off in terms of like the first or second dates where we just have different expectations of what we want to get out of life or what we want to get out of one another. Um, and then as you're maintaining, let's say after you're dating for a while, after you're, as you're maintaining that relationship, you know, sometimes you just grow apart or there's a, a lapse in communication where they see the world one way, you see the world another way, and you just haven't gotten good at reconciling the difference. Um, how relatable is that in terms of uh, I guess an agency's relationship with a client and if it's not relatable at all I'd, I'd love to know like what are some examples of when it does go off in uh, a not so good direction and then how do you sort of course correct yeah it's it, you know what one of the things I really kicked myself is I was never around for the Tinder age so like, <laughs> it sounds like it could be a lot of fun but uh, anyhow, the, I, I reckon your, your dating analogy is is spot on in, in the respect that it's it's about relationships and how you you know how they develop. But I think right at the outset, that you know the chemistry that you have is mm. really really important, and you know the traditional sort of pitching kind of process. I don't know how familiar you are with that, but that you know that's that's a lot of show and a lot of kind of. Um, a, a lot of pitching your point of view at one another and I, I guess you know through that process you should really have an understanding of, of, of what chemistry is there you, you know, do you like this person do you do you believe what they're saying um so there has to be a spark and, and i think that spark comes from a shared understanding uh, and a shared perspective on the world and then you know quite quickly as 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 you start uh dating if you will i'm sure there'll be certain habits and things that you'll pick up on that you'll like and dislike um and then it becomes you know, a, a process of really you know trying to navigate that and, and trying to to, to learn and, and build uh you know a partnership um and so in, in in times where that's gone wrong is you know when maybe you've got off on the wrong foot and and you know some people are in this for the long term some people are really not thinking about it in the same term so you're you're coming at it from a different angle um and then i think when it works well is when it, again it's that eye level you both have the same the same end goal and and the means to get there is this partnership so so that's that's the good side but then over time, like, you know, if you take some of the relationships that have stood the test of time, if you look at Wyden and Kennedy and Nike, you know, they've been working together for 30 plus years. You know, it's an enormous amount of time to work together yeah. in an agency. And, and it's around, you know, riding out the highs and lows. You know, you know there, there will be times when it's not going well, whether you're not cracking ideas or, you know, you've just lost some inspiration. And I think it's being able to, see the long view and, and be able to navigate out of those situations without trying to, you know, you know, just call it quits. You know, that's that's a really important stage of, of how a relationship evolves. Yeah. And then 
and you know the last thing is around hubris you know sometimes you take people for granted you know i mm. i think that's a really a really big issue in, in people's personal relationships you just don't see the thing that you you liked at the beginning and 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 i think it's around trying to keep it fresh and inspired and you know injecting energy into it is is exactly the same with our clients it's like how do we keep this fresh and and, and not just you know boring mm. yeah i'm really i'm really interested in, in knowing how that how that sort of manifests itself amongst your team like how like what kind of people you end up attracting because you know so it's almost like so the be real is a person let's say um uh, h&m is a person um with probably even more more like a What's what's that bot in Power Rangers? I can't believe I brought up a Power Rangers example, <laughs> but like, you know, like the, the the five individuals in Power Rangers come together to be this this robot thing. That that's the, uh, I mean, you know, the Transformers. That was Voltron. There yeah, you go, Transformers Voltron. <laughs> yeah. So 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 in that in that instance, right? Like so, Transformers Voltron. These are all individual units that come together to to become this composite that represents a whole. Um, so how have you guys sort of thought about and sort of mitigated any risk associated with having individuals that, I guess, how do you build the team? Like, how do you build those individuals such that they sort of, uh, optimize towards this greater purpose, this greater goal? When you join our team, there's a shared understanding of, of what we're trying to do here and, you know, the type of clients we want to develop and the type of work we want to be doing and, and. So, so it's it's not like we're trying to introduce people that are not a good fit into these relationships. We, you know, we're, we're pretty confident that we're on the same page by the time this, this kind of kicks off, if you like. Yeah. Um, but but the, the, the you know what, what we instill in the team is just never take anything for granted. You know, it, as soon as you, you you just expect the next project to arrive or you just call it in. Uh, you know, it's the beginning of the end, and, and you know that's where our leadership comes in to. You know, use their experience of like when it's gone badly because when you do that nine times out of ten you know it it leaves a bad taste and and and, and clients seek you know people that you know still you know the care and so it's about trying to create that hunger that anything can be better every op, you know every brief has an opportunity within it and that you know you've got to push if you want to get you know, if you want to create things out in the world that people respect and, uh, you know, to, to find you, you've got to push hard. Uh, and, and that's a constant push, even for myself, to kind of shrug off the, the hubris that comes with just, you know, working and uh, the good days and the bad days. That's awesome. So what is what, what do you see, I guess, sort of uh, be real going or and yourself going? Um, and then also, I guess, the agency community in general, like you, you talked about, like with AQ, AKQA, for example, it's gone through a bit of an evolution, um, uh, going into more innovation. And you even spoke with B Roll. You guys have gone into an evolution as well. Like, what is what's on the horizon in terms of um, the kinds of opportunities and, and, and challenges you guys are going to be going into? Mm. The company started with this original idea to to do interesting things that are relevant and that resonate in culture. And we've kind of held that close to our chest ever since, you know, we've been doing the same thing in every evolution, trying to do interesting work, you know, and our longer term vision is really just to continue doing that is to be the most interesting agency in the world. 
And that means that the, the products that we create out in the world are interesting. The people in our teams are interesting and come from different backgrounds and from different disciplines. And the clients that we work with are interesting. So it's a, a slightly lofty goal, but it's very true to who we are. You know, we, we want to be doing work that people look at and say, well, how the hell did they do that? And so in terms of our evolution, it's, you know, it's, it's not much more complicated than just getting better as an organization, not trying to scale, not to be try to be something that we're not, but constantly, you know, questioning all of the different things out in the world and saying like, how can we be better? How can we use different things, different technology, different people with different backgrounds to make ourselves better? But in the same respect that AKQA started more or less at the same time as Be Real, but grew 10 times as quickly, quite literally 10 times, uh, you know, it's a steady process for us. You know, we want to just continue to maintain our current culture, work with, you know, a small set of interesting clients and do interesting work. Uh, and, you know, the world will change, you know, the inland agency landscape changing massively. But I think, you know, that our ambition is not to be the biggest or, you know, the one with the most scale. It's it's to do the most interesting things. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like that. There's there's it, it reminds me of this uh this phrase, uh, small giants, um, where it, more or less speaking to the same thing, you know, contained, um, inherently patient, more familial, um, big impact, but small footprint. I love it. Yeah. So w- before we jump into our quick fire questions, I I, I noticed uh there was a, a sister company associated with B-Roll called BRF. Can can you can you touch into that? What is what is BRF? Yeah, it's a good question. So our, our, our background as a sort of more production-oriented uh, company meant that we had, uh, you know, an extensive film team, um, and, and that would be used to create TV commercials, uh, documentaries, online content, feature films. Uh, and recently, we, we actually decided to to split the companies off so that we could treat them almost individually because our clients moved from from more production uh, focused work to relationships uh, uh, with brands. So it was important for us to build our team and build our culture around that. Whereas BRF, our our sister company, was focused very much on how do we produce world-class content for, uh, for, for different clients. So it just allowed us to kind of focus on our different areas. But the point is we're still very, very connected in respect that we sit in the same offices you know our teams intermingle so once we have you know more film production requirements we we, you know we we just invite in the directors you know they're in our building in in brooklyn as we speak uh, you know and and they can input very quickly into our creative processes so it doesn't mean that we're not connected it just means that we are more focused as an organization um but you should check out some of the the content from brf we're you know we're doing awesome awesome work there from you know movies through to you know, documentaries and, and content online and so on. That's wild. You see, when you say you do movies, you're doing movies, like movies with brands or how, do, how does that work? Or is it straight up original screenplays, or original productions? Yeah, it's, it's straight up original screenplays and productions. Uh, uh, there's one coming up this year called Midsummer. Check it out. Uh, I can't say too much about it, but it's, uh, it's going to be a big, big film for us. Nice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely pull it out. That, that's a whole other world that I want to better understand as well. Like, how does a movie get made? Who finances it? Uh, how do you build a team up around that? Because that seems like it's uh, 
like a whole it seems like it's like an ocean 11 ocean 12 sort of production where you're finding your group of bandits and you find the person who can pay for it all and you try to execute this heist that lasts over you know a, a year two year three year period I think that's uh, another podcast, my friend. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a big question. Yeah. Um, awesome, man. Well, well James, I, I want to jump over to some of our quickfire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. So first question, Biggie or Tupac? Biggie. Why? I don't know. I've just always been into East Coast rap. And uh, now I live in Brooklyn. It feels like I've sort of come home. Yeah, this is true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And I guess I guess London is also probably it's closer to to New York than it is to LA. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I, I, I wish I had a good answer for you, but it's just it's always been Wu Tang and Biggie. I respect uh, it. Mob Deep, yeah. I respect it. So, what is what is a what's what's been a book or a number of books have been the most impactful to you personally and or professionally? Sapiens. I don't know if you read that book recently. Yes. Yeah, Sapiens is a great one. What, what did you um, what, what did you think of it? Well, you know what? I, I, uh, I'm a historian by trade. Like, that's how I grew up. So, uh, you know, just um, you know, having someone with such an eloquent way to tell, you know, all of the lessons learned by history, but go beyond that and talk about the future and, you know, what the impact of, you know, uh, you know, the future state human humankind, like when it comes to gene editing and, you know, how how that's going to change everything that we know today. You know, he's just a, an amazing storyteller. Yeah. And a historian. Yeah. Yeah. It's particularly one of the one of the things I, I really took from that was the the importance of story in humanity's ability sort of to sort of separate from the pack. And like, that's what allowed us to create the societies and to create value around money and like all these things are really just stories that we've told that we we attach weight to um which then goes back to like what you guys would be real you guys reinforce those stories and pull out more emotional cues given and depending on the particular brand amen my friend but but uh you know again that like the short time frame where humankind has been around and what what's happened is right. it's a the blink in, in, in the world's history and you know he just he brings that to life that how fleeting everything is at this point so uh, yeah it's just very sobering and, and you know as you say an awesome way to bring it to life yeah um, alright so what is what is a, a tool um, that's that's crucial to you and when, I, when I say tool you can take that as literally or as figuratively as possible as, as you'd like I should say um, what's a tool that's that's crucial to you in your arsenal uh, can't live without a tool you know what I uh, you know I hate to say this but you know my phone uh, it, it's a simple one but you know if, if I get those prompts now from Apple around how much I use my phone yeah and it's three hours a day uh, so it's it's insane how much I've you know how much I get from my phone good or bad um, but you know, what do we do without them I, uh, you know and, and you know of course it's just a platform for all the apps and all the other technology on you know that, that, that I use every day but you know I think we're pretty lucky to have that now yeah yeah it's it's like a, it's a magical device imagine if you were in the 1900s and you showed up with your phone yeah I mean I think I'd, yeah. I think I'd be able to I'd be able to take over some shit <laughs> no absolutely yeah. I talk to my new, I talk to my nieces and nephews. And, you know, they, you know, they're on the, I, you know, they, they grew up with this. Yeah. And I try not to be that that old guy that is, you know, telling them about what it was like in their day. But it's just 
insane to think about having this from the beginning. Yeah, and then to to that point, like the sort of creative capacity that you can have with this as a tool. Yeah, and perhaps you, and perhaps you can even argue argue the reverse that you know it's it's um, it's lim- it sort of limits your creative capacity in a sense if if that's the way you think. But um, I do I do wonder like what are the new things that people are going to create with this as their pencil, with this as their pad of paper. Yes, absolutely. You know what? I was talking to my wife yesterday around whether we should get a Google Home device for our seven year old daughter. You know, so that she can ask questions and she can start to interrogate things or play music and just do all these things because her, of course, her, her writing and reading is, you know, quite, you know, at the beginning stages. Yeah. But just like, is this a good idea or is this a bad idea? I'm still not sure. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. I, I definitely want to look that up because I imagine like having access to that 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 level and that volume of feedback earlier. Yeah. Is 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 tremendous versus you know having to wait to go to school and the delay that's associated with all that. Um, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So last question: If you could be doing anything, let's say you know years from now you have you have billions of dollars in the bank, you 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 own an island. Uh, what do you do? What do you do with your free time? You know what I I, I love my free. time time and you know i've uh, I, I got loads of hobbies and and, and stuff that i treasure outside of work and you know what i honestly think i would do, be doing pretty much what i'm doing at the moment which is balancing work that keeps me inspired if if i was bored at work i would give it up in a heartbeat and go snowboarding every day but <laughs> work work that inspires me you know getting out into the fresh air whether it's in the mountains or the forests or in the water you know all of that and then spending time with my kids and, and, and wife and watching them grow up, you know, it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. I, I you know, again, maybe my, maybe I'm getting all Yoda like, but, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, I just feel lucky that everyone's happy and healthy and, you know, uh, I've got the life that I've got today. So, uh, more, more of that basically. Awesome. I love it. Well, James, man, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate, um, you sharing time with me today and, uh, I'm looking forward to to continuing this conversation um, well into the future. Amen. Thanks a lot. Thanks for your time. Anytime, man. 